You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Welcome and hello uh, to Washington Post Live. My name is Gene Park. I'm a reporter for the Washington Post covering video games and gaming culture. Happy New Year. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. And I have the real pleasure to be joined today by none other than Mr. Neil Druckmann, uh, co-president of the studio, the Sony PlayStation studio, Naughty Dog. Uh, he started as an intern there. Uh, not really the kind of story that you, you don't really hear these days anymore. Kind of like started from the bottom and, and going up there. Uh, and he's also the creator and writer of the video game The Last of Us, uh, which debuted in the PlayStation 3 uh, for, in 2013, and is now being uh, adapted as an HBO premiere, premiere series uh, debuting this Sunday. Um, Mr. Neil Druckmann, welcome. Nice to finally meet you. Gene, looking good. We've been talking about doing this conversation for a while. I'm glad uh, we finally get to do it. Yeah, man, this was your idea. Don't, don't forget that. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how are you doing? Uh, well, you caught me on an interesting day at an interesting time in that um, uh, today I have, after this interview, I, I'm driving across town to sh do a premiere with Naughty Dog. The Hall of Naughty Dog gets to see the first episode uh, for the first time. And then afterwards, I have the HBO premiere, kind of like a Hollywood red carpet event that I have no idea what to expect from that. So, uh, awesome. And then at midnight, we have reviews drop for the show. So kind of, yeah. kind of. You got me at my most anxious nervous, so we'll see how this goes. Sounds good. Well, we have a lot to cover, so let's just jump right in and, and get you out of here. Uh, let's talk about Last of Us in a broader sense. Uh, for those unfamiliar, it's a story about a man named Joel uh, from Texas who suffers uh, uh, unimaginable deep loss at the start of a global pandemic. And we follow his story 20 years later. Uh, he's, he's grieving, he's, uh, he's a he's shriveled up man, and he's a black market smuggler, and his latest assignment is smuggling a 14-year-old girl across the United States uh, in the hopes of uh, hopefully ending uh, the pandemic. In the past, you described the games as being about unconditional love and about how those, those emotions can drive people to do uh, uh, wild things. And many other, others consider your last game, Last of Us Part Two, as simply a game about how revenge is bad and it doesn't uh, do anything. And to, to be fair, uh, you have also described uh, Last of Us Part Two as a, as a game about being revenge. You know, it's been two years since The Last of Us Part Two came out and 10 years since The Last of Us Part One came out. Uh, in hindsight, uh, how would you describe the, the, the themes of the story so far? Yeah, when you say it like that, I just feel old. Um... <laughs> No, it's it's just been kind of a wild ride. And, you know, you, you say certain things when you market a game versus what it might actually be about. But um, from I remember the, the moment we first started talking about The Last of Us at, at, at Naughty Dog, um, my earliest conversation with uh, Bruce Traley, my directing partner, we're talking about creating an experience of the unconditional love a parent's feels for their child. And um, that love is so primal, biological, uh, that it can make you do really wonderful things. It can make you feel the most intense happiness you've ever felt in your life. Like sometimes people ask me, oh, what is it like to have a kid? Is it, do you feel anything new? And I'm like, no, it's it's the same feelings you know, but it's much more intense version of those. So it's it's a kind of joy you've never known before, but it's a kind of fear you've never known before either and a kind of pain. Um, and a parent's greatest fear is, is losing their child. Um, and then, you know, as, as I get older, as my, my family gets older, my parents get older, there's this other fear of, 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 of losing these people that have raised you, that have connected with you. And so much of The Last of Us Part Two was about that. 
um, kind of the opposite side of that 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 love connection. And you know, when you look at the world we live in and some of the greatest things and some of the most horrible things have often come from that feeling of love. And to me, The Last of Us has always been an exploration of that. And our approach with the show was the same thing. Uh, that is at the core of it. Everything is um, growing out of that. Everything is a conversation about that. Um, so I, I think I, I think we've been pretty successful from my standpoint. I really enjoy the kind of back and forth conversations that happen around our games. Even when sometimes they could get quite toxic, I still get a lot out of it of just seeing what, what people take away from it, how they interpreted it. And um, uh, I'm really proud of what we did at Naughty Dog and now what we've done with HBO that's pretty much been inspired by the work Naughty Dog has done. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about all that stuff later. But you talk about the world we live in. Uh, the Last of Us is very obviously about a post-pandemic world. Um, and uh, this was back in 2013. And, uh, you know, some critics of this game and the story say that it was unusually dark and very cynical. It was a very dim view of, of the, the human spirit uh, and its capacity to care for others. But I know for myself in the last two years in the now and still very real pandemic world, I think reality has only reinforced some of those aspects of the game where, uh, uh, the, you know, there are so many com competing interests and it's in a survival in setting, how, how would they clash? But I want to hear from you. Uh, uh, how has the last two years changed your perspective, if at all, of, of that original vision? And how did this, if any, if it, did any of this inform how you approach some of the new changes in the show, uh, because there are a few changes that you've talked about in the show, and you know people people will see that. I want to I want to know if any of that any of the past two years the experience has kind of uh, informed you know kind of made you rethink uh, the game, and also has any of that appeared in the show as well as well. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a, a rethink. Obviously, it's the pandemic has been a wild experience. I've um... I've lost a relative to the to uh, COVID nineteen, um, so it's 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 been oh, sorry, quite intense. Uh, I, uh, thank you. Um, but I think it's more just reaffirmed what I've always felt that we're we're capable of wonderful things and really horrible things. And when you see people fighting about masks or vaccines, and um, it, it's it's disheartening. And then when you see people come together and really help one another. Um, it that's the thing we're all striving for, uh, or at least some of us. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if it's if it's really changed much logistically for the show. We we just knew people would be kind of wiser to how these things operate. So we wanted to make sure we've done our research and we're um, as scientifically grounded as possible. Um, just again, because people are more savvy to how pandemics work and how the government and society can react at large. But, uh, you know, the game and the show are really not about a pandemic. Like there's one episode that's about a pandemic. Everything else is what happens afterwards. And likewise, the first 15 minutes of the game are about a pandemic. Everything else is about what happens afterwards. It's about relationships and people. Um, that to me is the meat of what The Last of Us is. The other stuff is dressing to get to that meet, to get to those relationship to um, that is that is the core of what we were building. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your view on humanity? What is your do you have an optimistic view or a pessimistic view or somewhere in between? It's it's somewhere in between. Um, you know, maybe I've gotten uh, 
one could say more cynical, but maybe a bit more grounded over the years. I know as a, as a when I was starting out, I used to be, I think, a lot more naive and think, oh, man, we're going to make these games that will change the world and affect a bunch of people. And recently I've had some conversations and my, I don't know if this is quite your question, but I've been thinking about art and, you know, the stuff we're making. And I'm more interested now, I think, in affecting a few people deeply and inspiring people. And it made me think back to um, growing up and what are the things that have inspired me and wanted to make me get into to video games. Uh, it's been really cool recently and it's it's been happening more and more. You know, we're, we're growing quite a bit at Naughty Dog. Uh, and as part of the interview process, you know, we just talk to people where they come from or why they wanted to, why they want to join our team. And so many people talk about whether it's Uncharted or Jack and Daxter or The Last of Us has made them want to get into games. Um, so that's the stuff I kind of focus on now. It's like, okay, how do we mentor the next generation of creators? Um, how do we create openings for them to really express themselves? And I, I get, I think, more so now a feeling of pride of seeing other people kind of rise through the ranks and um, leave their mark on the industry. Uh, and that's the kind of cycle that I kind of I think about a lot. Uh, I don't I don't tend to think about humanity as a whole that much. I, I try not to watch the news as much as I used to anymore. It, could, it just kind of can bring you down. So, um, you know, I, I try to stay informed, but then focus on family, focus on my work and uh, just people close to me. Yeah, that was a weird that okay. was a weird rambling answer. I don't know if I quite answered your question there. <laughs> no, that's OK. Uh, we have a question from the audience. Uh, thank you to Matt St. John from Louisiana. Ask, uh, how has your time in the gaming industry impacted the choices you make as a writer when it comes to big ideas and stories? What do you cho choose to focus on first when creating a story? Um, I, it's funny, I have these conversations a lot with, with Craig these days about um, our process, which tends to be quite similar. Uh, I like some clear thematic idea, some simple concept that everything could be strung on, hung on, whatever term you want to use, uh, without knowing where we're heading, it's hard to make creative choices, especially when you look at something that's um, a massive collaboration, like a video game or a TV show. Uh, you know, I hear there's all these conversations about auteurs. I'm not an auteur. Uh, let's put that, <laughs> let's, uh, I'll make that very clear. This is what we do is extremely collaborative. Yeah. Um, so, I think that's why those simple kind of concepts are useful because often when, when you work with so many people, um, they'll come to you with pitches. And often, again, when they're very talented, all those pitches are extremely good and extremely exciting or thrilling. So when you look at five things and you can only choose one, how do you choose? And to me, the only way to do that is to understand what your thing is about, what it is that you're making, creating, and then to say not which one of these is the coolest, um, but which one gets me closer to that idea. Um, and then in having those conversations, um, that vision, it's very strong, but it doesn't come from a single person. Now, now if I've had a conversation with people and like I've, I have to say maybe four no's and one yes, even those no's are important because now it's like it, it, those people can walk away and be like, oh, I have a better understanding of the thing we're building. The next pitch is more likely to get in there. Um, and I think that's a muscle that you just get trained over the years of like coming up with those concepts and really empowering people to tap into that vision and express themselves into it. Um, and I think that's, these days, that's some of like the greatest joys I get is being surprised by the people I work with and what they bring to the table. And um, 
I think it helps make something greater than anyone any one of us could have done on our own. Yeah, I'm glad you said uh, that uh, making video games is a, is a very collaborative effort. So many different ideas and story ideas come from different animators. I will say, uh, unless unless you're Lucas Pope and you do everything, that's the only <laughs> auteur I know. <laughs> but otherwise, it's a collaboration, and um, everybody's contributing in some in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you, do you definitely can't uh, accuse your games of not having a perspective. Uh, my next question. You know, you're co-president co of a company and your last game, The Last of Us Part Two, was created with the knowledge that it would be quite divisive and it may anger some of your audience, which it did. Um, as a studio executive and creator, how do you mal balance managing and running a profit-driven media business with what appears to be your own very strong convictions to stick to artistic choices that challenge people's perceptions? Uh, was there a fear of th that doing what you, do you did would dilute your audience or was it clarifying? Yeah. Good question, uh, and it's something that I wrestle with quite often. Um, I, I will say it's like, look, as, as um, I forget the exact quote from William Goldman, but it's like the, the idea is like, you know, no one knows what's going to be successful or what's going to sell or not sell or what critics will be drawn to or will it find an audience. You just don't know. Um, if, if we knew if there was a formula to it, everyone would be doing that. Nothing would ever bomb or fail or, or, or any of that. So it's like, there's no like a decision. You say, okay, that's the best business decision. And this is the best, like, uh, and you could just kind of forget the artistic integrity of it all. What I have found over the years, and this is where I have to give credit, not only to the leadership at Naughty Dog that came before me, but even PlayStation is that people do their best work when they're passionate about what it is that they're making. Um, if that wasn't the case, I'd be working on Crash Bandicoot 17 right now. Um, but instead, Naughty Dog, then this was when it was run by Jason Rubin and Andy Gavin, very smartly understood that they were getting tired of working on Crash. And even though Crash was extremely successful for them, they moved on and did Jack and Daxter. And then Jack and Daxter became a success. And even though it was extremely successful for Naughty Dog, we moved on and did Uncharted. Um, which was a big risk for us. You know, we were known for like a more kind of like childlike, whimsical kind of storytelling and gameplay. And we went to this kind of cinematic, narrative-driven, um, uh, you know, pulp action adventure romp. Um, we moved away from hand-keyed animation to motion capture. And there were some animators that quit over that. Um, but we, the studio just felt like that was the direction we needed to take. That's how we needed to evolve. And we did work we were extremely passionate about. And then, you know, I think that that, that vision was realized not so much with the first game, which when it came out did not um, set the world on fire, but with Uncharted 2. Um, and then that was extremely successful for us. And we decided to take a risk, like let's do our first M-rated game. And that risk led to The Last of Us. Um, that when I was working on that game, and I've, you know, I've mentioned this in interviews before, I did not think it was gonna be that successful. I thought some of it was too subtle and nuanced and it, it's just, I, I just didn't think it would work as well. Um, but it did. Again, I think a big part of it is because we were working on something that the entire studio was really passionate about. So then when you think about, okay, the sequel for The Last of Us, you know, I, I think the safe thing to do would have been to do another Joel and Ellie adventure. Um, um, something that becomes, a, like, you, you try to turn the first game into a formula and try to recapture that feeling again. But I think that would have failed our process. Um, what I tried to replicate with the sequel was, like, the what's the process that made it successful is like you know that's taking certain risks that's putting things out there that is 
not going to resonate with everyone, but might lead to interesting conversations. And, um, you know, we made something that the team really believed in and I'm extremely proud of, and it was extremely successful. Um, you know, despite what other people that didn't like it would want, want it to be, it was successful. And to me, it's a, it, it reached a level of success that what I always strive for, which is not maximum profits, it's enough to be able to do it again. Um, as an artist, you know, you just, you want to, you want to reach a certain amount of audience. You want it to stick with them. So they're thinking about it past the point of finishing it. It's not just a frivolous thing. And then you're successful enough as a business to be able to grow, hire more people and do it again. And um, that's the position we're in right now. Yeah. Uh, conversation we're having right now, I started because you wanted to chat with me about narrative storytelling and video games. Uh, so let's, let's talk about that. Uh, the, the critic uh, Tim Rogers has likened The Last of Us as kind of like the latest and ultimate evolution of the groundbreaking 1991 game by Eric Chahi, Another World. Uh, I would even take that back further, and, it's, and the evolution starts back to Jordan Mechner's Prince of Persia and the Karataka games. Um, and it's well known that The Last of Us was originally pitched as a more grounded, realistic version of 2001's Fumito Ueda uh, groundbreaking game, uh, Ego, for PlayStation 2. So, you know, in the past several years since your internship at Naughty Dog through uh, now directing The Last of Us 2, and now you've dabbled in so many other mediums, you've, you've made comic books, and now you've co-directed and co-run an HBO prestige series. Uh, how, is your uh, how is your view of effective video game storytelling uh, evolved over the years, and how would you define it now? Um, it's funny, my mind goes even further back than... Um... Prince of Persia, like I think Atari Adventure, you know, just like a square moving around and you're trying to project narrative onto it. Definitely. Uh, it's funny. Well, the reason we started to have this conversation is, you know, you know, you you put some statements out there about Elden Ring um, that just like Twitter does, you know, you've gotten into some heated conversations about it. Uh, yeah. I, I do think stuff, I'm more recently intrigued by stuff like Elden Ring and Inside that doesn't rely as much on traditional narrative um, to tell its story. Um, and is, I think there's some some of the best storytelling that in The Last of Us, yes, a lot of it is, is, is in the cinematics, but a lot of it is in gameplay and moving around the space and understanding the hi a history of a space by just looking at it and examining it. And to me, that's, so that's right now is some of the best joy I get out of um, games that trust their audience to figure things out that don't hold their hand. Um, that's the stuff I'm really intrigued by going forward. And again, it doesn't mean we will never have dialogue or cutscenes. I think those like those are tools in your toolbox. Okay. And it's about how do you use all these different aspects, some of it from other medium, you know, some of it found notes and environmental storytelling. And I think there's a way to to push that stuff forward, uh, at least for the kind of games that we make at Naughty Dog. I'm really intrigued, again, never resting on our laurels and, and trying something a little bit new, a little bit different that not everyone's going to like, but that's okay. And again, it's, it's stuff that we're working on now. I can tell you that the teams are very excited by the, the different projects we have at Naughty Dog. Yeah, one of the, the more interesting things, and I think the underrated things about the Last of Us series and, and Uncharted as well, and what Naughty Dog has brought to the table is all this unspoken uh, the storytelling you do with people's faces and the, the kind of expressions that they give. You know, even in the remake for The Last of Us Part One, I noticed that Joel was smiling more than he did in the 2013 game. And it's like that for me, that tells like an even deeper story than and a, a, a different characterization of him than the original 2013 game uh, did. Um, 
so yeah, it's just it's, it's just been fascinating to, to 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 see to see it happen. Yeah, I think that's some that's some of the best um, uh, storytelling sometimes in passive media in TV and film is scenes that don't have any dialogue, and it is just about reading a person's expression. You know, one of the changes that we made for the TV show is we made um, Sam deaf. And it, yeah. it started from a, a place of just like, uh, you know, conversation I had with Craig, we're like, what if we, we could use less dialogue? And, and, and but then it led to it, that kind of constraint led to really interesting storytelling decisions that I would say in some ways make that sequence more impactful than it is in the game, um, mm -hmm. at least for me. And I'm, I'm very curious to see how other people react to it. Um, and then likewise, I think with games, our philosophy at Naughty Dog is usually like, if it's an action sequence, it should not be a cutscene. It should be on the stick. If it's something that, again, you want to focus on someone's face, well, that's really hard to do in gameplay. Not impossible, but often you have to remove their kind of gameplay loops and mechanics that um, are connecting them to the character, and that's when we should go to a cutscene. Um, but more and more, as we talk about it, is like, it, that's the last resort of removing interactivity and like, okay, how can we stay on the stick more and still tell these really compelling character-driven stories? Was it liberating for you to work on these same characters, but like being able to like work on them on the show? Because in the game, you have to really stick with Joel and at least perspective. They are the player, right? And, but now with the show, you can actually move the camera around and move the plot around to focus on other characters. How was that process for you? I, I, it's not liberating, but it was um, it was kind of thrilling uh, from from two perspectives. One is that you know I, I had a, a really strong co-writer with Craig Mazin, um, who's been thinking a lot about this game um, and what we could show in it and how we can again leave Joel and Ellie's perspective. And those are thoughts I've had. You know, in trying to build the world, you often write and define more than what the player is going to experience, so they don't see the edges. Again, you want to define as much as, as further than what the player sees. So again, they, they don't feel like the world ends where their experience ends. Um, with the show, and we, you know, we have to be very thoughtful about this. We could, because you're not, you are not Joel, you are not Ellie, you're watching their journey, but you, you get to leave their perspective. By the way, I know you've seen the entire show, so I don't, I don't know how, <laughs> I guess we're right before the embargo, so I don't know how much you could talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah. But we, we get to, to see these really kind of interesting perspectives that speak to that theme of love and yeah. the wonderful things that can come of it and the horrible things that can come of it. Again, that is our goal with, with the story. Um, and in a way, it can strengthen the journey that Joel and Ellie go to. So, for example, you know, when they crash their truck and they go against the quote unquote hunters, we get to humanize that um, what is an obstacle for them. But therefore, I think their conflict becomes that much greater because you realize they're fighting against people that are also trying to survive. They're also trying to find their way in this world. They're not just henchmen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that does, that's a concept we try to explore much more in the second game than we did in the first. Uh, but I think that's been really fun is to try to humanize everybody as much as possible because, again, ultimately, we are all people. It's just something. There's some motivation. Something is putting us at odds. And then that exploration of like, okay, how do we resolve this conflict? To me, often that's the juiciest part of the story. Uh, playing through games, there's so many multimedia interwoven throughout the story. You know, uh, Pearl, a Pearl Jam song is central to the themes of The Last of Us Part Two. 
And of course, there's the Hank Williams Sr. song, uh, speaking of the, the, the crashing into the truck, uh, you know, Alone and Forsaken. And it was uh, featured in trailer. For me, I, you know, I, I'm fascinated with people who are able to do kind of cross-media uh, inspiration. Like, for example, Steve Jobs was heavily inspired by Bob Dylan and, and the, the Bob Dylan pathos and how it inspired him to create the company Apple. So how, who are some of the artists that inspire you, and uh, if at all? And do they, do they at all translate into what you do uh, as, as, a, as a video game creator? Oh, man. Uh... There's so many. I don't I'd like. Let me let me think about where to start. It's like it's interesting you mentioned music because I think music has always been a large part of my life. I I often listen to music when I'm writing or thinking about concepts. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody that follows me on social media knows I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan, and it's a band that you know I've admired since I was a teenager. And I've I like artists that are in some ways uncompromising. That they. And they and they evolve. They, they don't just stick to the same. Again, they're not just chasing success by trying to duplicate previous success. They're evolving and changing over the years. If you listen to Pearl Jam music now, it's very, very different than the early 90s when they came out. Um, but I find it equally compelling. Another person that comes to mind is uh, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, of another that has evolved his music over the years and has ventured into other media. Has now composes music for, um, well, has done games, but now does film and TV um, as well as doing. And then there's, I think, the kind of obvious ones from from gaming with Fumito Ueda, another artist that to me feels uncompromising in his vision and has a through line for all the the stuff that he's worked on. That is something I, I think about a lot. Um, uh, recently, Ron Gilbert is another one of, uh, who released a new Monkey Island, and it, it felt that it really was a continuation of this a certain taste that he brought um, to that series. Uh, I was really, I could feel it playing it. You could feel kind of like that that artist's hand uh, in that game. Again, it's a it's a collaboration, uh, but there's a certain vision there, a certain like quality to it that that felt very much uh, of his taste. Um, yeah, th those are some of the ones that come to mind. Yeah. Uh, last question. Um, what's the most What's the most exciting thing about video games today? And video game creating a video game, video game storytelling. Like, what excites you about the future? Not just twenty twenty three, but beyond. Uh, it's funny. I get this question sometimes. Like, oh, wh where do you think games are going to be in five years? I think what's exciting about games is that no one can answer that question. Yeah. Um, uh, as as if you were to go like like you know when I was starting out and and try to guess where VR would be or where mobile games would be or free to play, I don't think anyone could have predicted those those things. Um, so the thing I love about games is how broad it could be. That there could be cinematic games next to really like one of my game of the years this year is Vampire Survivors. I've played easily 100 hours in that game. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm afraid of flying, but I found like there, like if I am playing Vampire Survivors, I don't even think about the plane anymore, and I'm just I'm just in the zone. I'm in this flow. So Dude, I, I'm afraid of flying too, and I actually played a ton of Vampire Survivors while I was in the hospital recently too, and it was it was like oh. the most engrossing thing. You know? Yeah, it's just I don't know what it is, but it occupies like almost my entire brain, and I'm just I'm just there. <laughs> Um, another game, also one of my top games this year, obviously Elden Ring, massive fan of that. Um, uh, the Case of the Golden Idol. I don't know if you've played that, uh, but it's a mi murder mystery puzzle game. 
is the best way I can describe it. It's kind of like Obra Dinn um, by mm. Lucas Pope. Maybe, maybe a, sorry, Lucas, maybe a bit more approachable. <laughs> um, but the way it, it uses puzzle mechanics to tell you the story and to get you invested in these characters, and then uh, each level grows in complexity and uh, complexity of puzzles, but also complexity of narrative. And the narrative becomes kind of larger and there's a larger cast of characters that by the time I got to the later levels, I was so invested in characters that on paper, I should not be invested in any of this. Uh, and it just did it so brilliantly. Um, it's hard not to get inspired by that. Um, and again, I couldn't have predicted that that's the kind of game that would have grabbed me to such a degree and moved me emotionally to such a degree. And that's mm -hmm. the thing that I love about games is they're constantly surprising and where they're going and what they're doing. Um, and I find that for me, at least, there's no way to predict where, where, where it's going or what it's going to be. But uh, I'm intrigued by a lot of it and, and, and what's coming next. That's true. You know, like for me, uh, I, I was thinking like I really need a, a deep, rich, like story narrative game. And then Vampire Survivors came along and I was like, oh, this is it turns out this is exactly what I needed. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm very excited for what Naughty Dog uh, has planned for this year. Uh, again, 2023 is the 10th anniversary of The Last of Us. And I'm, like you, I'm very excited and anxious to see uh, how people will react to the show. But uh, you know, we're just about uh, out of time. We're about out of time right, right now, but uh, Mr. Neil Druckmann, thank you so much for joining us here at the Washington Post. Uh, congratulations on everything and, and best of luck to you. Gene, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, let's, let's do it again soon. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care, Neil. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.